everybody. Welcome to Hebsey on Sports, episode number Gino Malkin, Alex Karras, Jason Peters, and Nick Felino. He scored! Felino. Uh, it was his dad's number backwards. I'm your host, Mark Hebsher. Today on the show, does it mean anything when your star player, <clears throat> excuse me, who's about to become a free agent, buys a house in another city? Does it mean anything at all? Does it mean anything when a guy breaks out of a slump with three assists and a plus four and then can't play for the next eight days? Does it make a difference which hat they put on Roy Halladay's Hall of Fame plaque? And guess where former Blue Jays pitcher Ricky Romero has landed for the upcoming season? All that and more, plus some NHL All-Star stuff, NBA All-Star stuff. First, your All-Star trivia question brought to you by Panzer's Original Deli on Bathurst Street, north of the 401. Name the former Toronto Maple Leaf, who once scored a record two goals in eight seconds in the All-Star game. Former Maple Leaf once scored a record two goals in eight seconds. She scored! She scored! In the All-Star game. The answer in a backstory later. Trivia brought to you by Panzer's Delicious Food. Great service. Fast takeout. Tell them Hebsy sent you. 416-636-1230 or go to PanzersOriginalDeli.com. We grabbed takeout from there the other night. It was fabulous. Oh my God, I want a beef knish with gravy right now. Don't get me started. Like many of you, I'm interested in whether Kawhi Leonard is going to leave Toronto after one year or sign a long-term deal with the Raptors. If, for example, he purchased some real estate in the GTA, that would be a good thing, right, Mike? That would be good. Oh, for sure. Right, that would be a harbinger, I would say. That's front-page news. I would say that's a harbinger. (laughs) However, if you found out that Kawhi Leonard bought a $13.3 million five-acre spread near San Diego, would that be a bad thing, Mike, to find that out? Uh, not necessarily. Why do you say that? Because he's going to live there uh, in the off-season anyways. So yeah. He needs a home. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I, I would be disappointed if he didn't live in Toronto in the off-season, like Ryan Barucki is doing from the Jays this year. Right? Oh, like Paul Molitor used to do. Molitor used to do. Barucki is a young guy, and he just decided yeah. instead of going back to, uh, where is he, from Chicago. From Chicago. Uh, he would stay here in Toronto because his girlfriend lives here, and he's, he's exploring the city. He knows the two-mile radius. Now, I would like it that Kawhi Leonard, if he purchased some real estate in uh, the GTA, that would be lovely. But for all I know, he would buy it, and then it would be for investment purposes. He would rent it out to, uh, to Raptors players. He'd rent it out to the guy that he got traded for if he got traded. But anyway, <laughs> never mind. So he goes and he buys a $13.3 million spread near San Diego, which is where he went to college, and it's not that far from Los Angeles, although with traffic, it's probably three hours. I've been up that 405. Oh, you're going to take a helicopter. So it's not like it's like I'm buying a place in San Diego so I can sign with the Clippers or the Lakers. It's not that simple. And let's be honest. If you're from Southern California and the weather's beautiful there year-round and your family's there and home cooking and all that, why wouldn't you purchase a property if you had the dough and he's got the dough? So let's not worry about this, okay, folks? Whether he plays in California or not, chooses to purchase a property in the Golden State, should have nothing to do with the fact that he doesn't play for the Raptors. He doesn't play. It, well, he doesn't. He's missed 10 games this year. How they haven't barely played half the season. You're right. Four games Four in a row. Load management. Now I get load management. But what the heck is going on with this? What is going on here? And then having been screaming about this for the last four games, okay, I get it, no back-to-backs, but what about back-to-back-to-back-to-backs? Four games in a row. Then I saw what happened to Victor Oladipo the other night for Indiana, coming off a knee injury, playing 20 straight games with the sleeve on the knee. He's done. He's had it, man. Surgery, gone for the season probably. Terrible injury. I yes. saw it happen. I thought, yikes. Maybe this is why they're resting Kawhi. Maybe this is why they're going, what do we care 
if he misses four games. Let him have eight days off. Play no basketball. Now, Mike, you're a biker. Yep. I run. I like to bike also, but I like to run. Yes. But I know what it's like when you run compared to biking, and that is you can't run every day. You're, you can't take the pounding. Your knees, your hips, your joints won't be – you have to be able to rest. And consider playing basketball at full speed for 82 games a year. And someone says to you, you know what? For a week, nothing. We don't even want – you can practice easily, whatever it is. No hard stuff. No jumping around. Any of that, right? We want you healthy. We don't want to see happen to you what happened to Victor Oladipo. But have I mean, you- Indiana's done now. You know, they're not only they may not make the playoffs now. They're going down. They have, they're going to have to make a trade, or they're going to have to suffer with the loss of a terrific guard in Oladipo. And the Raptors do not want to have to do that. But Hebsey, uh, I'm here. I hear you about load management. I'm on board with load management, but four games in a row sounds awfully excessive. There must be some pain somewhere or some tightness somewhere. It can't just be rest. Well, he had a quadriceps injury last year that was a mysterious injury. He missed all of uh, all but nine games. And a quadriceps, I mean, look, quadriceps is near enough to the knee and the joint and such, right, that you got to be extra careful, especially if you play a game like Kawhi. So if they said to him, you know what, Kawhi, what do you think? If you played 60 games, 60 out of the 82, would you be fresh for the playoffs? Would you be good? Would that be, do you think, a good leap? You played nine last year. You play 60 this year. And on three occasions, we're going to give you multiple days off. Multiple. Now, one of those occasions should be the All-Star break. But guess who's a starter in the All-Star <laughs> game for the East? So here's what I ask you. Fans, Mike, load management. Kawhi's going to the All-Star game. Can, can the Raptors say to him, Kawhi? Take a pass. We need you to have six days off, five if, days off, four days off, three days off. We can't have you going to the All-Star game, playing, even though it's not tough minutes. It's the whole th- Load management. So how about this, folks? Either Kawhi's going to miss four, four games. Great, terrific. He's going to play against Houston tonight, James Harden, who had 61 against the Knicks the other day. I wonder who's going to be guarding James Harden. I wonder if we can keep Harden to under 50. So Kawhi versus Harden, this is big. He's got to come back. But, but he's had the time off. So when the All-Star game comes, which is February the 17th, I think it is. Yes. Um, should Raptors say, uh, you know what, Kawhi? We've been good with you. We've given you the time off. We want you to be fresh for the playoffs. You can't play in the All-Star game. See, if it was the, ba- the uh, baseball All-Star game, I'd say, yeah, because you, you sliding hard. It's, you, know, you play hard baseball no matter what. You can't really play soft. But I feel like the uh, NBA All-Star game yeah. is a bit of a shoot-around. Sure it is. Uh, they don't no, even break a sweat. No defense so at all. I don't think he's going to get know. hurt. So tonight, <laughs> tonight should be a terrific game. Uh, um, Kawhi's going to be fresh, that's for sure. Harden is 21 straight games with 30 or more points. He's got four 50-point games in the last like, couple of weeks. And he's doing all this without Clint Capella, who's an outstanding player, very underrated, and no Chris Paul. So this guy, and every, he handles the ball for the entire possession. Seriously. I think, I read a stat, like, he, out of the last 269 baskets by the, by the uh, Houston, uh, 227 of them are by Harden. It's like ridiculous, like that. 61 he had the other night. How do you guard this guy? So, um, uh, you know, Play against Harden. Play against the big boys. Let's see how you are against great competition. When the All-Star game comes, you take a rest. So Kawhi was selected as a front court starter for the East alongside uh, Giannis the Greek Freak, who's the captain of the Eastern team this year. I can't pronounce his last name. I've tried. I don't have to anymore. Like, I'm not a... (laughs)
I'm not a TV broadcaster anywhere. I'm not a, oh, yeah, he's the Greek freak. His name's Jonas. That's good enough for me, okay? It's like Jonas. You don't have to, like Charles Barkley does not have to say Valanchunas if he ever mentions his name. He just says Jonas, JV, okay? So the Greek freak works for me. So he's the starter along with Joel, M- Joel Embiid of Philadelphia, a wonderful player, and Kawhi, pretty good front court. And uh, Pascal Siakam was seventh in the voting among front court players. He's going to go to the All-Star game. Uh, in the backcourt, Kyrie Irving and Kemba Walker. Kyle Lowry, sixth in the voting among guards. For the West, LeBron is the captain and the top vote-getter. Of course he is. He's joined in the front court by Kevin Durant and Paul George. Wow, remember they used to play together. Uh, starting guards will be Steph Curry and James Harden. What a backcourt. Who wants the ball more? Threes, threes. Harden and Curry together could score 120 points. They could both go off for 60 <laughs> in an all-star ball. game. Think about it. All you got to do is make 23-pointers you know, or a couple of layups in 18. Wild. You know, I keep thinking, of that. how good was that uh, Oklahoma City team a few years ago? Like, they, they never won at all. Russell but, uh, Westbrook, yeah. Kevin Durant. Harden was on the team before James Harden that. was on the team, yeah. They were the all team. three on the team together. They were all three of them on the team together. That's amazing, right? That was something. There was no, that's why Harden had to go. He had to go. There was yeah. no, not enough ball for him. That's the you, problem. Westbrook and Harden and KD. <laughs> Impossible. So, uh, yeah, and Jan- you know what? I watched the game the other night, and, man, it's like, give Harden the ball. Let him bring it up court. Slowly, slowly, slowly. Okay? Observe the situation. 15 on the clock. Take your look. Okay? Make like you're going to go to the basket. Pull back a little bit. Maybe it's a step-back jumper for three. Maybe he fakes that little step-back, and then he drives to And what a great driver to the 10 he is. Man, he is quick, that first step. And he has the ball for, like, the whole, like, 20 of the 24 seconds, and he usually scores. It's unbelievable. So the Raptors had better be at their best if they want to beat them. NHL All-Star break is coming at a good time for a lot of teams and a lot of players. Guys are tired. The media gets tired. John Tavares and Austin Matthews in San Jose. They were introduced to a smattering of applause at the beginning of All-Star Media Day, which is a weird-looking... They got this big hall there. There's some fans sort of sitting over like they would at the NFL draft or the NHL draft. And they got a bunch of media roaming the floor with a bunch of pods where each player goes to a pod and a bunch of media that's set up there, and, he, and they answer a bunch of questions. Then the media shares stuff with the other media, because I, were, I wasn't at your pod, you weren't at my pod. Uh, what did uh, Patrick Kane have to say? What did Gabrielle Landeskog have to say? By the way, Gabrielle Landeskog is about, about the most articulate hockey player I've ever heard. And, and English is not his first language. He's, he has no trace whatsoever of a Swedish accent. Amazing. Uh, incredible. Came to Kitchener, I think he was a 16-year-old playing in the OHL, and, a, and very articulate. Like, you're listening going, this guy's a hockey player? Like, he, I'm sure he reads books. Like, I'm sure but he But does he books. write books like Zach Hyman? That's what I, I want to know. know. I'm sure he reads books. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, so I was very impressed with him. And um, also, Sebastian Ahu almost fell off the stage. <laughs> See, what they do is they introduce the... Like, you'd hear this disembodied voice. And now, from the Toronto Maple Leafs, Austin Matthews. And then he comes out and he gives this kind of Pope wave or... Uh, royal wave or whatever it is, <laughs> like right? Queen. To nobody in particular. And then walks down seven or eight steps. And then somebody's standing there to direct him to the first pod that he's going to where he answers questions. So the announcement, you know, it's not like Andy Frost. or It's just some voice. And, and he's doing it like he's announcing him in front of a crowd of 17,000 Austin Matthews. And it's not. It's a bunch of media folks that are walking around. Weird. It was just a weird setup. Anyway, Sebastian Ahu doesn't know where to go. He almost falls off the stage. <laughs> so I'm thinking, what an injury that would have been. Like, what an injury. What happened to Ajo? Well, he didn't know which way to turn. He was on the stage, and he slipped, and he fell off the stage. He what? Is that a hockey injury? What the hell is that? So that's, it was just odd. It was a weird thing. It was the NHL network, people we don't normally see. 
Kevin Weeks, who I remember from Hockey Night in Canada, and of course he was a great goalie. Right. Not he wasn't a great goalie. He was a no, good, he wasn't a great goalie, but he was, goalie, a, good, he was, a, good he was goalie. a. He was a good goalie. Yeah, good dependable. Goalie. He was a dependable. He was yeah. an NHL goalie. Let's give him that, okay? <laughs> he's better. But than anyway, him. he's with a woman who I, I've never seen before, who works for the NHL never, who's giddy. She's just giddy. Oh, look who's here! Brett Burns dropped by. Oh, Eric Carlson dropped by. And then the question. This is the way they phrase the questions. Yeah. It's like this. Who is the toughest opponent you've ever had to play against? I mean, which opponent is the toughest? Like, as if you didn't understand it the first... I have to rephrase it, right? <laughs> Who is the, who's the best-dressed player on the team? Of all the players on the team, who dresses the best? <laughs> That is redundant. Ask the question once. But anyway, that but you don't silence. know what to ask, guys, because for the first time, you're asking them questions that, that aren't necessarily related about that game, the game that night, the between-period interview, or how did you do tonight, or assess your game. It's more general stuff, and you get their personalities, the players. And it was, it was a bit weird watching the NHL. Jackie Redmond, who used to be on the... Uh, of course. On the Rogers, uh, the sports net there, uh, works for the NHL Network, and she's interviewing the players up on the stage. She's interviewing Austin Matthews, who was wearing no socks, by the way, Matthews, none. <laughs> Tavares had socks on, but uh, Matthews didn't. But anyway, so Jackie Redmond says, so tell us who's, who's the best dresser on the Leafs? And Matthews, who was in GQ yeah. with some of the ugliest outfits I've ever seen. I would never let my kid wear that. But, <laughs> but anyway, so he says, Nylander. He says, William Nylander is the best dressed Maple Leaf. Well, I would think so. Guy makes $7 million <laughs> plus a year, and he has one goal to show for it. Mind you. He did break out of that slump with three assists and a plus four the other night. So I'm wondering if he was really looking forward to the All-Star break. He said, nah, you know, I'm kind of coming to bad day. Here I am. I'm just getting going here, and now i gotta, I got to wait for eight days. So here's my suggestion. Since Nylander missed all of training camp and two months of the season, and since he's making seven mil a year and he can afford to buy nice clothes, let him continue to work out during the break. No Bahamas for you with the rest of the guys. No. You missed training camp in two months? You're going to work out. You're going to be sharper than anyone else when the season resumes next Friday night in Detroit. Got it? You're going to score three next Friday in Detroit, and then you're going to score another one the next night against Pittsburgh. Got it? Because you're not going to the Bahamas. You are going to mini training camp. That's what I think. It sounds fair to me. All right. Fair and reasonable. Good. Um, and how would you assess the Leafs pre-All-Star? I mean, that win over Washington was big the other night. How would you assess them? Uh, it feels it feels worse than last season. Like it just feels. Like, I can't remember uh, what I felt like last season at this time of year. <laughs> I, I remember. What about everything. back in 09? Remember how you felt back in oh, 09 I, at this time of the year? It feels better than 09. It feels better <sighs> at this time of the year, January of 09. Right, no, right, nobody right. remembers that. Stuff. Okay, how do you think uh, things are progressing? How do you think this team's shaping? They have to make a trade. Outside? Okay, they have to make a trade. You so make a trade some uh, some upfront talent for some D line. Uh, I think so. I think you got some speed. You got a uh, you got a Janssen You got available out there. You've got a Power Lindholm that you could uh, trade away. You could um, oh, I don't know. Not Capitan. Not Nylander. Well, that's the problem. Not. You don't want to trade all these uh, oh, here young the other, guns. Well, the other thing is you've got. I mean, next year is going to be a problem for cap space. I don't even going to get into that. But if you're asking me if this team is good enough to go to the Stanley Cup final, the answer is no. And you're asking me, can this team get better this year and be better than Tampa? The answer is no. I don't think so. Can this team make the conference final? Yeah. Yeah, they can make the conference final. Yeah. But beyond that, I don't know. Let's see. We'll wait. Baseball. Now the Hall of Fame class of 2019 was announced a few days ago, and the late Roy Halladay will not be representing the Philadelphia Phillies nor the Toronto Blue Jays. The decision has been made for Halladay's plaque to have no logo. 
Halliday's wife, Brandy, said, quote, there's no way to decide between the two teams. I know we've spent the majority of our time in Toronto. Toronto gave us that chance, the base, the start. But Philadelphia also gave us a chance to win and that passion that we wanted. And there's no way to choose. So we decided that he'll go in with no team. Mike, you're a Blue Jays I have Jays questions. Fan. Let's hear it. I have questions. My first question, it goes yeah. back to the famous uh, Gary Carter uh, situation, right? Because he wanted to go in as a Met, and mm-hmm. they, the Hall decided he'd go in as an Expo, as I recall. Mm, yeah, I, it was it, it, the Hall. Ultimately, the Hall wants to work with the player. Right. That's what they say. We want to work with the player to m- ensure that that players properly represent. So I have a I have a bunch of questions. You're the right guy for these questions. Like, first question is: Is this does this happen? Like, uh, are there examples of of players sure. going in? So this is not yeah. uh, a unique. No, ask. no, no. Okay. Do you know that Greg Maddox did not go in as a uh, Atlanta Brave? So he went in with no with no uh, logo That's on right. his cap. He sta- started okay. with the Cubs. The Cubs nurtured him. The Cubs signed yeah. him. The Cubs. He went through the Cubs minor league system. He felt a um, a loyalty to the Cubs. Uh, and even though he didn't win any championships with the clubs, and he went, what did he win? One World Series with the Braves? Yeah, one. Got to the final, right? So he decided that he wanted to go in with a generic cap. In other words, it's Greg Maddox Hall of Famer, not Greg Maddox of the Braves Hall of Famer, not Greg Maddox of the Cubs. So I'm okay with that. Okay, so this precedent where a player's made this request. And well, not just a player. Tony LaRussa, one yeah. of the great managers of all time, right. managed the White Sox to their first um, AL West championship ever, I think in like over uh, 25 years. Then he went on to uh, manage the Oakland A's, the world, and then the St. Louis Cardinals. He is in, no cap, no one team, and um, Catfish Hunter. Mm-hmm. A's and Yankees. Fantastic. One World Series with both teams. Now, there's many others. Reggie Jackson could have gone in with an A's cap, a Yankees cap, and maybe even an Angels cap because he played the last, I don't know, eight or 10 years with the Angels. So there's many opportunities. But what happens is this. If you go, if you work with the family and you say, look, it would be a disservice to Philadelphia if you had Toronto and vice versa, you can have one or you can have none. You can have no, you can have no logo or you can have one. You can't have like a split logo. Played half as, plus remember too, back in the day, the, all the early Hall of Famers all played with one team because it was part of the reserve clause. Sure. Very few of them. I couldn't, I could not think of a, I could not think of a, a Hall of Famer, seriously, prior to the 60s, even maybe the 70s, that, that played for more than one team. Like, Willie Stargell played his whole career with, with uh, the Pirates. Mike Schmidt played his whole career with the Phillies. And when you get a Pete guy like, Rose is not right. in the Hall of Fame, right. but he was Reds and, and Phillies. But I mean, all those old guys, they played for one team, so there was a no-brainer. But now, mm-hmm. nowadays, guys get traded, guys go free agency and have since the 70s, and they represent more than one team for their career. Okay, here's right. a few thoughts, and I, I don't want to spend the whole show on this. Oh, you're I, not. I'm you're not okay, so, a, but, but the time is not a factor here. So Relax. This is a very... Last uh, minute of play right. in this podcast. No. This is a very, uh, obviously, a sensitive situation. Because Roy it? passed away. He passed away. This makes it a complete, very sen- makes it far more sensitive than your typical your case. Here. So, How so? So it's, it's more delicate. Like I think you would be more likely to go with the family's wishes on this one because the, the wife and the children were there. Uh, he's gone. What if Roy, what if Halliday were alive and well, said, uh, I can't decide between the Phillies and the Blue Jays? And okay, the Hall of and Fame said, yeah. you have to make, you think they're going to say you have to make a decision? I feel like the Hall would probably uh, put him in as a Blue Jay. Like I just, I, Why? I, because uh, not only did we draft and develop him, but he hmm. had the bulk of his career here. He had his best years here. Like to me, it doesn't look like, it, yes, he had some good years at Philly. He had an, uh, the perfect game, and he had the no-hitter in the playoffs. And but, wait, wait, he, yeah. went, he went back as a coach. He was an instructor for the Phillies. But, yes, and, but and, I want to talk about that really quick. Bob Elliott. 
when after Roy passed, Bob Elliott wrote that article uh, for Canada Baseball. Right. Uh, and in it, he talks about how Roy wanted to work with the uh, the young pitchers in the Blue Jays system. This Correct. is what Roy wanted. And they asked him to apply for the job. So Roy did so. And then it got kicked upstairs. This is Bob Elliott as the source. And he said, uh, Blue Jays management, which I guess is uh, Shapiro and Atkins, mm. uh, said no. So then Roy went to the Phillies and worked with their pitchers. Mm. So... Up until that moment, yeah. I think it's clear to say, because he did retire as a Blue Jay, so it meant a lot for him to come back here. Mm. And then he went on the record to say he'd like to wear a Blue Jays cap. He went in the hall. So something happened with that situation where the family and Roy had a falling out, if you will, with the uh, current with Blue Jays management, which and soured him. That's and I think that's the impetus for this. Wow. That's a real stretch. Is it that far that's, a stretch? Because you is. have a video of him in 2016 or whatever saying he would like to wear a Blue Jays cap in the hall. Okay. And then we have evidence uh, right. from, from Bob Elliott. But he's, that but he's not here. No, but we have that. But he's not uh, here. And also, too, Bob his Elliott. family and his kids grew up more with the Phillies than the Blue Jays. Okay, yeah. And Clearwater, Florida is split between Blue Jays. I mean, really, he was, uh, I mean, he was buried 10 minutes from Dunedin Stadium and 10 minutes from uh, the Clearwater Stadium where the, where the Phillies are. So, and he lived there year-round, you know, and he's, you know, he was from there and his kids were raised there. So that's a tough one, man. And I think that you'd be really selfish as a Blue Jay fan to say, you should be wearing a Blue Jay cap. Look, Roberto Alomar played, what, five years for the Jays? But it's five Jays best years. On. All right. So were Halliday's best years with the Jays? Yes. Why do you say that? Statistically, uh, statistically, yeah. You'll what be, about the Phillies? What did he do? Nothing with the Phillies? No, he was great with the Phillies. He was great with the Phillies. Right, but four years with the Phillies, eight years with the Jays. Okay, best years here. We All developed right. him. We, we, but regardless, because okay. he's passed, uh, this is he's going in without a logo. <clears throat> I feel he should be going in as a Blue Jay. But okay. the family, uh, I Mike Bucina, should he go in as an Oriole or a Yankee? Oh. Mike Bucina, Oriole, uh, or Yankee? Oriole. Why? I don't know. That what one, I need to dig in there. I haven't done my homework yet on the Mussina. I just hope Cito Gaston's the guy who uh, inducts him. Okay, so by the way, so Roy Halladay gets in with 85.4% of the vote. You needed 75% to get in for induction. 85.4% on his first ballot. Some of, that, some of it might have to do with the fact that he passed away. Maybe. I don't know. You never know with the voting. But to me, the unbelievable. And by the way, Edgar Martinez also with 85.4%. Mike Mussina, 76.7%. Not that much. And, of course, Mariano Rivera setting a record that will never, ever be broken in the history of baseball. Never be broken. No. Be, could be equaled. <laughs> in fact, will next be equaled by Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in 2043. <laughs> 100% of the vote on your first ballot. I'm shocked. 100%. By, I'm period. Shocked. I'm shocked. Because you'd, you'd, you'd expect uh, somebody to simply not vote for him, simply because they feel that nobody should be or, no that they feel nobody should be a if, but how would that person know how would that person know well, there's going to be somebody who say I know he's getting in without my vote so I'm not voting for him to prevent the 100% because if, if for example if, if uh, I don't know if Mickey Mantle okay well Joe DiMaggio didn't get in of 100% not even nobody close. should not even close not even close let me tell you that Rivera's 100% next to him uh, Junior Griffey at 99.3% in 2016 uh, next to him, Nolan Ryan, 98.8% in 1999, and Tom Seaver, 98.8% in 1992. So prior to Rivera, 99.3 for Griffey, and that's pretty close. That's somebody who said, I'm not voting for him because I don't want him to be 100%. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. I do know this, that um, Fergie Jenkins got in with 75.4%, the lowest ever, tied with Ralph Kiner and Al Simmons. 75.4%. But he got in. He's in the Hall of Fame. And when he writes HOF, no one says, oh, what was your percentage, Fergie? <laughs> well, how, did you barely get in? Did you get in for sure? What was it? There's no asterisk. Asterisk. Uh, 
Uh, that was an anti-Canadian sentiment, I'm sure. Uh, if Fergie Jenkins was from California, he would have got in with a, a much higher percentage. Uh, I don't know about that. He had 283 career wins, and at the time, oh, if you didn't have 300, you'd be, had better been an exceptional player. But anyway, so Babe Ruth, 95.1% in 1936. Hank Aaron, 97.8% in 1982. Mickey Mantle, only 88.2% in 1974. Joe DiMaggio, in, incredibly, 88.8% of the Think about that. 88 point, now he was Joe DiMaggio, but also he was a Yankee, and there were a lot of Yankee haters <laughs> and a lot of writers that were DiMaggio, and DiMaggio was not a good interview, was not a guy to get along with. So this was the day. Did you got Willie Mays numbers there by any chance? <clears throat> uh, he was in the 90s okay. also. Don't have it right here. Uh, but Joe DiMaggio, so I'm thinking a lot of writers who got stiffed by DiMaggio, who didn't want to talk to them, who was uh, aloof. And these guys said, fine, we're leaving him off the ballot. Jackie Robinson, though. Jackie Robinson, 77.5% in 1962. That's two years before the Civil Rights Act was enacted in the United States. 77.5%. Jackie Robinson would be 100% if he was on the ballot today. 100%. So how does anyone top 100%? It can't be done. Now let me give you an example. I was at the 1976 Olympics. I'm watching the f- <clears throat> women's gymnastics. Nadia Komanich. Now a 10 had never been, a perfect 10 had never, ever been achieved in the Olympic Games, <clears throat> ever before. And she did the uneven... Uh, bars, which is one of the <clears throat> excuse me exercises in the um, women's gymnastics, right? There's the vault, there's the balance beam, there's the floor exercises, and there's the uh, uneven bars. I think that's four of them there. And she was spectacular, did not make a mistake, and for the first time ever in Olympic competition, a perfect 10. People went wild, Mike. I don't know if you remember this, you remember hearing about it. Yes. Wild! Because four years earlier, Olga Corbett had almost had a perfect 10. I mean, these, these gym, gymnasts were remain, amazing. This Romanian girl... A perfect 10. People went crazy. <clears throat> Had never been done before. The next performer was Nellie Kim, also of the USSR. Her performance was even better than Nadia Komanich's. Even better. She got a 10. Then another 10 for Komanich. In those Olympics, a 10 was achieved nine times. Seven times by Nadia Komanich, twice by Nellie Kim. It had never been achieved before that. Now, I'm here to tell you right now, that was a mistake. Because you can't look at an exercise and say, that's perfection. You can't do it. Now, I know in figure skating, a perfect six, perfect six. But you see, they had to change the way they do this in gymnastics, the way they did with figure skating. It has to be a combination of technical and... Um, uh, artistry? Uh, artistry. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, um, the way you interp- interpretive... So they, they mix all, which makes it even more confusing. It used to be, just stick up a card and tell us what you're giving that person. You don't have to explain why. You know, this much of it was tech. But now you have to. Because these people kept getting perfect scores. So now that Mariano Rivera's got a 100%, it, cannot, it can only be equal that even then. So, yeah, I'm kind of, mm, you know, uh, it's like, it, it will now be an expression. Did, did anybody get rivera Rivera means unanimous, that he was on every ballot, perfect. And that's really the way it looks, because instead of it being, you know, he got, uh, he got 10 points for first place, he gets nine points for a second place vote, he gets one point for a 10th place vote, all it comes down to now is, is he on the ballot? And the answer is yes. Boom. Because when Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio got their whatever percentage, there were a lot of 
writers that left them off the ballot completely. Which is amazing. Completely. So there you go. There's my little story there. Hall Imagine leaving Ted Williams off the ballot. I mean, that's nuts, isn't it? <laughs> this is ridiculous. Ridiculous. I'm kind of surprised that the lead story last night on a couple of sportscasts um, was the return of Tiger Woods. Like, I'm not even thinking golf. Not now. Right? I'm just not. Right. Oh, but the season started. They were in Hawaii. Then they were on California now. And now Tiger Woods is, is uh, entered in the um, Farmers Insurance Open at Torrey Pines, which he's played many, many times and won uh, U.S. Open there back in 2008. Anyway, he shot a 200 par 70 on the more difficult south course. And they showed every shot that this guy took. Here's his bogey. Here's his birdie. Here's his, like, everything. And then at the end, it was, oh, and by the way, the leader is John Rahm, who shot a 10 under 62. Like, he gets, like, not even honorable mention. Now, I get this, folks. Tiger won his first tournament in ages last year, the Tour Championship. And this is his first uh, tournament of the year. And he has 14 major championships. And Jack Nicklaus has 18. And he's chasing Jack. And TV networks love this. If Tiger's involved, the ratings go skyward. But really, your lead story with all that's going on, your lead story is Tiger Woods shooting a 200 par 70 in the first round of the Farmers Frickin' Insurance Open. <laughs> Come on, Sports Network, let's do something else. Oh, that's right, we're carrying the entire tournament. Yeah. So we're leading with it. Yikes. That's what happens when the Leafs and Raps don't play. Oh, my God. <laughs> and speaking of major championship winners, Serena Williams has 23 Grand Slam titles and has been the dominant player of her generation for years now. She was one point away from advancing to the semifinals at the Australian Open the other day. She, on match point, she's leading 5-1, and she twists her ankle against Katarina Pliskova. Whose phone? Is that my phone? Yep. Why would somebody phone That's me? That's it. Now? You'll five, put $5 in the jar. Who would, oh, somebody from Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> it's, oh, I, it's Austin Matthews. Should I answer this? It's got to be Austin. Should I answer this yeah, one? Because oh. I know what it is. It's like, it's like, hello, you've been selected by Google as the one... Mo- it could Sorry. have been Austin wanting to give you an exclusive. Sorry about that, folks. That's not his number, I know. It would say Austin Matthews on it instead. It's got a phone number. Uh, where was I here? Well, I'm so Serena. really interrupted. Serena. So anyway, she uh, twists her ankle, right? Now she can barely like hit the ball. Because she's playing on one foot. And she loses six straight games, loses 7-5 in the final set after she was up 6-1 with match point. She got steamrolled because she couldn't do a thing. Now, here's the interesting thing. She was called for a foot fault on match point. On match point. A foot fault. And you know what Serena's like with a foot fault in major championships. You remember what happened a few years ago. Right. But the other thing was, Serena was headed for a semifinal match against Naomi Osaka. Remember her? The girl that beat her in the U.S. Open when Serena had a meltdown, remember, and yelled at the umpire, and remember that? So it was going to be a rematch in a major. Naomi Osaka, Serena Williams. And what does she do? She twists her ankle. She can't do a thing. And then she gets steamrolled and loses 7-5. Yikes. By the way, Osaka beat uh, Pliskova in the semis. She now takes on Petra Kvitova. In the final. So it's uh, Naomi Osaka and Petra Kvitova. Not quite the same draw. Not quite. On the men's side, Milos Raonic was bounced in the quarters by Lucas Pui, who I said he should be able to clobber. He did not. He was terrible. And Lucas Pui deserved to move on. And then Pui got just uh, hammered. I think love 2-2 by Djokovic in the semis. So it's the dream matchup of number one seed Novak Djokovic and number two seed Rafa Nadal in the Aussie Open final. Do you know that Joker has won 14 major titles? And um, six Australian Opens. And Rafa has won 17 major titles, but only one Aussie Open. Because oh. he's won 11 French Opens, which is ridiculous. And the Aussie Open that he won was in 2009. 
He would have played Djokovic, but Djokovic, who was the defending champ, had to retire in the quarters with heat stroke. It was like 147 degrees Fahrenheit there, and he just passed out. Uh, Roger Federer leads all males, 20 Grand Slam singles title. So the question, Mike, is will he be overtaken? He's got 20. Djokovic has 14, and Rafa has 17. I say yes, which is kind of amazing. I think we- in the next couple of years. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Unless, mind you, Roger could win. He could win Wimbledon. Yeah, he's not year. done yet. He's not he done could yet. win Wimbledon this year. But both those two guys are like 31 and 32. So is this years the of golden age, age of, of tennis? Yeah. Like, it's as it good is. as it gets, right? Yeah. With- I, think, well, I think so. I think so. Three fantastic players. I think it would be Agassi and Sampras. We had a good period yeah, there, but did. nothing no, like this. We had right? Borg, look, you had Borg, McEnroe, Lendl a little bit after that. Yeah. But Borg had retired by then. You had Connors in with Borg and McEnroe for a t- You know, yeah. You had Sampras, Agassi. You know, you had uh, so the like, Jim I, Couriers in there too. You had the Mats Vlanders for a while. You had, yeah. But I remember thinking, we'll never see another Sampras. And then Federer came along. Right. I'm like, oh, here he is. And wow. then now it's like, will we ever see another Federer? But he might be here now. He could be. Djokovic is a, fa- is a fabulous player. He's terrific. All right, uh, time for our trivia brought to you by Patches Original Deli at 3856 Bathurst, north of the 401. Name the former Maple Leaf who once scored a record two goals in eight seconds. Sorry, it's two goals in a record eight seconds in the All-Star game. Mike? I have a guess. Yeah. Vincent Danfuss. Vincent Danfuss is an excellent guess. He once scored four in a game in Chicago. Right. But it's, it's not right. It's, but he, was a, ma- he scored- was a member of the Leafs at the time, you see. He was he was wearing the he wasn't wearing the colors of the Leafs, but he was a Leaf when he did this. This guy was not a Leaf when he became oh. a Leaf later. The answer is Owen Nolan. Oh. Now you may recall Owen Nolan in the nineteen ninety seven All Star game that was in San Jose. That's where Owen Nolan was playing at the time. He was right. playing for San Jose, and he was a fantastic player. And in that game, the East beat the West eleven seven. Owen Nolan's playing for the West. But what happened was Owen Nolan in the second period at eighteen fifty four, and then again at nineteen o two scored. Two goals in eight seconds. But then, in the third period, with his team losing 11-6, and the game, you know, already not in doubt, and uh, Dominic Hasek in goal for the East, Nolan gets a breakaway in San Jose, chance for the hat trick, and he called his shot. Do you remember this, Mike? 100%, He yeah. came down the left side, and he called his shot. He pointed at Hasek and then scored. And the place went nuts. The SA, it's, it wasn't called the SAP Arena at the time. It was the Shark Tank, whatever it was. San Jose Arena. I don't think it had a sponsor. It went nuts. They went nuts. Crazy. I fabulous. remember it well. The question, the supplementary trivia question is, who is the winning coach in that game? 1997 All-Star Game East coach. Currently a television analyst on Sportsnet. <laughs> Pick a coach. <laughs> yeah. Pick a coach. <laughs> Uh, Doug McClain. Right. Oh, he was the Florida Panthers coach the year before of, when they went to the Stanley Cup final. Of course, right? Fabulous, of course. Doug McClain. I thought you'd like that one. Thought you'd <laughs> like that one. I love the bonus uh, Panthers trivia question. That's great. Thought you'd like that one. All right, before we go, a couple of things. First of all, technology as it is, um, the idea that a team's audio broadcast, a baseball team's audio broadcast, would be on anything other than radio uh, would, was far-fetched. Uh, the Montreal Expos back in 2000 could not, didn't, could not get a radio deal together, and so they went to an online... It was expos.com, and you could only listen to Dave Van Horn do the games online, right? But, right. but many people did, and certainly it wasn't as easy to, um, to get those. They didn't have the, the devices weren't the same as they are now. Nowadays, if you were to tell people, by the way, the games, there's no radio for the games, but you can still listen to them. W- would it matter, Mike, to most people? 
I mean, even in cars nowadays, they don't even have AM radios. You'd in see cars. A, a big uh, demo breakup here. The older crowd, it would matter, I think, because they just want to tune in their terrestrial radio. But they're tuning. But they but tune in their terrestrial radio in their cars, correctly? Correct. Well, baseball games are kind of an evening thing. They're not a like a drive home thing. Like I feel like that maybe in the backyard okay. while they uh, they have a barbecue or something. Like, still, that's my but thing. still, I like what are you listening? What what device are you listening to it on? I'm still listening on a terrestrial radio. You're listening to it on a what? Uh, a what? On a what? Though? A radio. Where? Where oh, is this like radio? In the backyard. I have it upstairs. In oh, the you've kitchen. got a radio, so I it's an actual, an actual radio, radio in the backyard. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. it wouldn't be you wouldn't want to uh, uh, run it off a speaker or run it off your iPhone or whatever. I would adapt very quickly because there. I'm a I'm a savvy right. tech. So the Oakland A's have no radio deal this year. No radio. The radio station that they were with, ninety five seven, the game which I believe Don Collins was the program director. It was the program director. But hey, this is in Oakland. They, uh, there was a uh, rather acrimonious breakup between the team and the radio station. So they have no radio deal. So what happened is the president of the A's, Dave Caval, uh, says we're going to be emphasizing our streaming service, first and foremost, for the upcoming season. This is, it's time has it's come. Time, it's time. Time has come. So Dave says this. We need to look at this in an innovative way. Terrestrial radio is kind of dying, and we need to look long-term at how you get in front of people with audio. There is still going to be an audio feed of the game, the way there is with traditional radio. But there are going to be many ways people can consume that, and we want to provide options to achieve that in multiple ways. So, Mike, is this the future of sports broadcasting? Yes. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, this very podcast is evidence that people are now on-demand streaming or streaming. Right. You don't need right. terrestrial radio right. anymore. So can I go, so, so when April comes and the baseball season starts, can I go to my phone and go, Siri, get me the Blue Jays game? No, you have to subscribe to something. So I get an app, right? So there's yeah. going to be apps. I mean, I've got to believe that there are apps available that would show the entire game on a replay if you wanted to listen to an entire game on a replay. I didn't hear it. Live, a live stream for sure. Uh, additional programming, a pregame show, a postgame show. All of that mm -hmm. can be done by streaming. Yeah, uh, but just or an app. Even Major League Baseball provides it. There's an app. Uh, yes, but not <clears throat> for free. That's the only thing. No, not it's yet. not for free. But, but you can listen to your teams all of the broadcasts, all right. of the audio broadcasts, and any television <clears throat> with the app. And I think it costs me like 129 bucks a year, and I get everything, everything. Instead of looking, I'm searching for an AM radio. What do you mean the car doesn't have an AM radio? <laughs> what do you mean you're like I'm in my buddy's car and I go put the Jays game on? He's going, I don't have. Is that I go, right? I go, what? It's not standard. It's a Porsche. Anymore? Got a Porsche. A new <laughs> Porsche. He goes, I don't have. I go, what do you mean you don't have? He goes, I don't have AM radio. I go, get Jay's game. So now I'm thinking, uh -huh. the Jay's radio network, do they have any FM stations? No. Can I tune it in on, on FM? Not in this market. So now we go to, now can I stream it? Can I stream? Yes, I can. I can go to my uh, MLB app. I can go to audio and I can listen to either the Jay's broadcast of the game or the visiting team's broadcast of if I wish. Anyway, speaking of bro broadcast, listen to how this works. Mm -hmm. The Vancouver Canadians of single A um, baseball, single A, uh, what are they called? The rookie league. They're going to have a new television color analyst this year for six games on Sportsnet. Ricky Romero, oh. former Blue Jay, uh, 34 years old, will be the TV color analyst for six games on Sportsnet. Ricky, of course, is married to former Canadian women's soccer star. Who, who's he, uh, who? Ricky Romero is married to former Canadian women's soccer star. Former? I don't know. Cara Lang. I didn't know that. Now you know. Wow. I'm surprised. Yeah, I know. I'm surprised, so, uh, too. <laughs> yeah, so they're from Vancouver. Like, you know, oh, we're from B.C. So anyway, he's going to do the game. So good for Ricky. I'd like to hear him as an analyst. And maybe one day, maybe one day he'll come back in that crowded booth. And maybe Ricky Romero, former Jay, will be Ricky Romero, color analyst on Blue Jay Telecast. It could happen. start somewhere. By the way, you know what we learned in this episode? We need Kawhi to fall in love with a Toronto woman. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. 
I like that a lot. Okay, uh, before we go, uh, are you ready for an authentic Chuck Norris high five at the end of the coolest 5K ever? Mike, let's go to College <laughs> Station, Texas, home of Texas A&M University. Because on May 9th, sorry, on May 4th at 9 a.m., no ordinary 5K. With your help, we will attempt to break the world record for the number of people dressed like Chuck Norris in the same place at the same time. Yes, fans, the Chuck Norris 5K. You register and you get a Chuck Norris T-shirt, a Chuck Norris fake beard, and an awesome Chuck Norris belt buckle, all similar to what Chuck has run. This is awesome. I want to be part of this. If we really want to get your, you want to get your inner Chuck Norris on, you can create your own look-alike costume. We have costume contests after the race, giving out prizes for the best male Chuck Norris costume, best female Chuck Norris costume, best kid Chuck Norris costume. I think this is great. He raises money for charities, okay? You, he is at the finish line. The real Chuck Norris is there to high-five every single contestant, That's every, every participant. Yes. Strollers are welcome. No four-legged friends. I want to go. I want to run the 5K, <laughs> dress like Chuck Norris, and get a high-five. I think that's great. I think that's fantastic. Good old. I like Chuck Norris. I'm a fan of his. Okay, we got to wrap it up. We've got to wrap it up. That's it for edition number 71 of Hebsey on Sports. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks, as always, to Toronto Mike for production and inspiration. And please tell your friends about the podcast. Make sure you write a nice review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Tell them that you really love this podcast. You know, the more listeners we get, the easier it is to attract sponsors so you don't, you don't have to pay for the content. It's free for you. And if you like this show, maybe you want to read my new book, The Greatest Athlete You've Never Heard Of. And it's about to become, well, he was a, it's about the greatest runner of his generation, a man who was crippled at the age of three. Well, he wasn't a man at the time. He didn't walk till he was 10 and went on to become the greatest runner of his generation, a fantastic one-armed hockey player and the holder of 33 Canadian, U.S., European, and World Championships. He was Canada's first Olympic gold medalist and the first disabled athlete ever to win an Olympic gold. And his story has never been told until now by me. The book comes out February 16th. You can pre-order via Chapters Indigo or Amazon or go to your local bookstore and ask the owner to order it for you. The Greatest Athlete You've Never Heard Of by Dundurn Press. Thanks so much for allowing us into your headspace, folks. Back with another exciting episode of Hebsey on Sports very shortly. Until then, so long for now.